0: Hello Joystick Wagglers, Lou Cohen here. We're nearing the end of Series 5 already, and it snuck up on us so quickly that I've forgotten to add in these little bumpers to remind you to send in your feedback for this heavenly series of Games Master. Tell us your thoughts on Series 5, your favourite challenges, favourite celebrities, your least favourite moments, and how you're getting on with the Dom and Mates era of the show. Send in your feedback as either an email or as an mp3 to feedback at underconsultation.com. That's feedback at underconsultation.com before friday the 17th of june 2022 now on with the episode Greetings and welcome to heaven, this is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode episode podcast type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master, I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen,
3: a satire of satire. And more soothing than a chocolate massage, I am Ash Versus. I am amazed neither of us went for kissing the rim. I mean, it's Friday, it's time to <laughs> let our hair down, Luke. this episode aired on the 11th of
0: january 1996 fifa 96 and donkey kong country 2 topped the console charts michael jackson's earth song is still top of the pops but we have a new number one at the box office and it's a bit different than babe it's david fincher's seven do you like what you do for a living
1: these things you see To wear blinders sometimes. Most times. Detective William Somerset is looking for a way out. You're retiring. Six more days, and you're all the way gone. So how long have you lived here?
3: Too long. Detective David Mills is
1: looking for a way in. We'll be spending every waking hour together from now until the time I leave. I'll show you who your friends and enemies are. Look, I will come side five years. Not here. It is each We have a homicide. They're caught in a game. No fingerprints and no witnesses of any kind. Nope. About the only thing we know about that guy right now is he's totally insane. Where the price of sin is death.
3: I mean, you say a bit different than Babe. They've got a lot in common. I mean, they're both films. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, you can't. They were both UK box office number ones. They were, and they um, they were both well-received by critics. Yeah, and they, they both, both made money. Oh yeah, I was going to say, they both made bank, and um, they both involved a severed head in a box. Uh,
0: I mean, you could argue that one of the kills in Seven is as fat as a pig. There we go. They are very similar. It's a double bill waiting to happen. We did say it was the oddest, like, triple bill to end off uh, a series that we've ever had on this show.
3: Yeah, and I, I, we've had some weird kind of, like, back-to-back number ones.
0: No, but, I, but this is also a number one that at least makes sense. You know, this isn't Hellraiser 3. This isn't Freddy's Dead. This is actually, like, oh, yeah, arguably one of the greatest movies of the 1990s is Top of the UK box office, probably where it belongs.
3: Yeah, and just the, the, the people involved. I mean, obviously, David Fincher, who was still kind of smarting from Alien 3, but was like pulled into this movie by a great script. Uh, spoilers, a great script that was actually the wrong script, but that's a slightly separate story. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hilarious story, no less. But also Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Gwyneth Paltrow, John C. McGinley, and it's it's, oh my God, that cast is so... 1996 going on 1997 i haven't revisited seven
0: um and one of those reasons is because of the obvious uh because it, it cropped up on me when i was watching fred Claus, and an actor propped up at the end of that movie and i was like ah oh, i forgot he was in that movie and I, and i still haven't quite got back to watching any of the others so i haven't re-watched seven in quite some time which is a shame because i absolutely adored this movie it's yeah it's not quite
3: the usual suspect but
0: yeah yeah maybe it would have been better if it was michael stipe in the role
3: maybe it would have been better if we just had another couple of weeks of babe <laughs> <laughs> maybe
0: although we you know we wouldn't have been able to talk about it. like so there's a very interesting story behind seven and david fincher you mentioned he was smarting off of alien three like he was effectively done He had such a horrible time with Alien 3. He'd almost made the decision to himself, well, that's it then. I'll probably never just direct another movie again. And if you kind of go through his IMDb credits, following Alien 3, it's just commercials. He does like a couple of night commercials, does some music videos and stuff. And then this is his first film back. And you mentioned earlier, it's because he got sent a script in the post. And it was a script he absolutely loves, but it wasn't the script he was meant... Well, it wasn't the script he was meant to receive, but I have my doubts on
3: this. I mean, it was 95% of the script he was meant to receive. Essentially, the sticking point, and this was a sticking point for quite a while, is the ending of Seven. Um, Spoilers, the head in the box. Yes, yeah. studio... head is in a box? What's yeah. in the box? And also worth pointing out, the the head is no longer attached to the rest of the body it's not like it's kind of a really weird halloween costume the idea is she dead she being be murdered head in a box it is an incredible
0: ending it, oh my it, god it knocks you for six the first time you see it it really does because as david Fincher, you know said in a lot of his interviews it's not like every other police procedural movie and that's what that's what a, a, a attracted him to it and that's also what the studio hated Yes, because, because, it's, because they oh, we wanted we... it to be standard.
3: Yeah, we want it to be standard because we know standard police procedurals have a certain success. We want this to have a certain success. So technically, the script wasn't meant to have that ending in it.
0: Yes, it was supposed to have a much, li- not a lighter ending, but a more traditional ending of John Doe going to the house, G- Gwyneth Paltrow running a bath and sort of a stalker type ending to, to end the film off.
3: Yeah, ends up with a kind of a roughly happily ever after or something similar. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But unfortunately, they managed to, you know, while they got him, they got him with him going, no, I really want to do this ending. And they were kind of fighting it all the way through production. They they were just like, even right up until post-production, like there was still the, we might not use this ending. We don't want to use this ending. And I think it was when they started to do the first test screenings that the studio were
0: like, "Mm, okay. uh, uh, Yeah, and this is where I... You know, because the urban myth is that, uh, I mean, I say it's never myth. This is the story that David Fincher has told in many interviews before that he, the script he was sent was the first draft when he was meant to have been sent the 13th draft that had all of the revisions and stuff and had that ending changed. And then he went for a conversation with Michael DeLuca at New Line Cinemas to say, like, look, I love this ending. Michael Duke was like, okay, close the door. And the conversation that Michael DeLuca and David Fincher had was just like, look, if you come on board for this, we can probably get this version made because this is the version I want to do there's another producer on this movie that doesn't want to do that ending. And then what they essentially had was an argument of like Michael DeLuca and David Fincher, and then Brad Pitt came on board and Brad Pitt said, I'm only doing this movie if we get to do the other one because i've literally just come off doing another
3: movie where they changed the ending because it, legends of the fall yeah legends of the fall had its ending originally cut because a test audience in this case went, we don't like this it got little shopper Horrors. yeah exactly like it, he basically was like i've literally just come off the back
0: of a movie changing its ending because of this and if we're doing this movie this is the version we're doing and it i'm so glad that that is the version that we did get because i don't Seven is a great movie, uh, particularly because it's got that Fincher style to it, which, which is weird to say because that's a style that didn't. You couldn't say Fincher had a style then because the only movie he'd done previous that was Alien 3. But it has like that, that Fincher feel to it that we now know. But if it had just a standard ending, I don't know whether it would be as beloved as it, it is here, you know, uh, 30 years later.
3: No, I absolutely agree. I, I get what you're saying of like, it is recognizably Fincher at the time we were just like this is amazing this this film's like blowing minds and heads and and now we look back at it and we like he was there already like the 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 style and the person was just there waiting to be seen and it's it's an amazing cast it is also a difficult watch for people that you brought up um at least he's only in the final third yeah he's in the final
0: third which actually is the same problem with fred claus
3: Mm. god damn it we need to you know never mind bringing back uh, peter cushing or you know <laughs> yeah. or, or de-aging amber we just need the ability to go to these films and just like i don't know replace them replace them with dick miller there we go there's a non-problematic person Have this entire person's filmography having replaced with beloved character actor dick miller i mean really when you think about it if anyone else could have played that role You'd have gone to
0: Dick Miller, wouldn't you?
3: Oh, absolutely. Dick Miller. I was disappointed when they didn't put a CGI Dick Miller in um, Army of the Dead. <laughs> do you know, there are probably people listening to this that do not have a Scooby Doo who Dick Miller
0: is. However, if they saw a picture of Dick Miller, they'd be like, oh, yeah, because I've seen him in 5,000 other movies. And he got killed by his own snowplow in Gremlins. Exactly. Spoilers. That's, what I mean. that's what i mean he's just one of those actors where it's like oh i mean have you ever seen a joe dante movie yep there he is
3: but he's just one of those actors where it's like i don't recognize the name but that's a face that i know and yeah if you haven't seen chopping mall you should go track down chopping mall the vhs copy if you can two weeks on the bounce bringing up chopping mall on this show oh, i i genuinely love chopping mall it was it's one so of the early, it was one of the early films we did for Hammond horror uh, and in fact dick miller featured on the cover art for the podcast because the screen grab was of uh, um from the uh the party scene with the topless lady oh and i provided censorship with a pair of dick miller faces <laughs> you censored boobs with dick <laughs> yes i did a <laughs> pair of dicks they were wrinkly Well, we've got
0: seven for another week. So maybe we could talk about some of the other parts of of seven, including some of the the bizarre casting choices on there as well, because there are some of them that I think are possibly debatable because they're not sourced. But yeah, I I think we can certainly talk about some of the casting choices, uh, and the people that turned down the option to do seven
3: if dick miller's on that list of people that turned (laughs) it down just so we get dick miller three weeks in a row three weeks of dick
0: anyway uh looking at some of the
3: tv uh
0: and uh, pop culture news um i mean speaking of psychopaths january 8th robert hoskins was found guilty and convicted of five charges of assault stalking and threatening to
3: kill madonna and also did cause some confusion because his name of course robert hoskins not bob hoskins yeah, very different person. But when you see the newspaper headlines of Hoskins <laughs> <laughs> convicted, and it's like, "Fucking hell, oh, what did Super Mario do? <laughs> well,
0: what indeed? But more untimely for us and very much in our line of liking things, on January 9th, X-Files moves from BBC2 to BBC1.
1: Something strange is coming. Be careful, it knows you. Something unexpected. Nothing just materializes out of thin air. Something unspoken. Tell no soul what you witness in here. Something unexplained. We've both seen physical evidence, Scully. Something is coming from the other side. The X-Files is moving from BBC2 to BBC1. Tuesday at 10. Prepare to
3: adjust your set. I remember that happening and... It genuinely seemed to cause more people to start watching it at school. Of course, yeah. It makes sense in a way, doesn't it? Like, isn't it bizarre that BBC, even though in the
0: day when we only had four channels, if it was on BBC One, it just got way more people watching it than if it was on one channel up. But the thing is, if it was on BBC Two,
3: it was kind of cooler.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so this makes it more like, it's, it's prime time. This is now mainstream.
3: Like, Have I Got News For You it existed for decades on on bbc2 red dwarf until dave existed exclusively on bbc2 all the cool comedy bottom, bottom young bottom was a bbc2 show bottom would not been at home on bbc1 i never really watched the bbc1 sitcoms i watched a lot of the bbc2 sitcoms same with itv versus channel 4 channel you know itv had um the upper hand and uh bird watching and all that Birds stuff. Of a feather. Was Birds of a Feather? No, that was BBC. That was BBC. But but again, safe sitcoms. BBC Two, as you said, bottom, young ones, Red Dwarf, Channel Four, had Sean Show, Mr. Dawn, Mr. George, um Father
0: Ted, some of my absolute favourites from that era, and then like you know, later on spaced and things like that,
3: Green Wing. They were willing to take chances, and so so were BBC Two. And yeah, it's weird when a show gets promoted because Star Trek, Star Trek The Next Generation ran all that time on BBC Two, never got promoted to BBC One despite being a solid ratings winner.
4: Welcome to Games Master. As a show, it's more soothing than a chocolate massage, more life affirming than finding a bottle of fizzy pop after three days in the desert and more rewarding than rescuing Pamela Anderson from drowning in a sea of £20 notes. Later on in the show, we'll have a top challenge on total basketball. But first, funny boys make movies in an event we are calling Blokes on Film.
0: Or can you think of something that is more soothing than a chocolate massage? Something that is more life-affirming than finding a bottle of fizzy pop in a desert? Or more rewarding than rescuing Pam Anderson in a sea of £20
3: notes? Doing this podcast with you, mate.
0: Ah, oh, yeah that's very kind of you uh that but that you know is a great intro to this show
3: oh it's absolutely solid although i will say kind of two out of three i don't genuinely i genuinely don't think i'd find a chocolate massage that soothing i think i'd find it kind of sticky
0: it, it yeah like uh i mean unless you are into a mukbang scene and i'm not here to kink shame anyone uh, I have never found chocolate and uh, sexual encounters to be the best.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's like, it, it's a sticky, it's a sticky situation. Literally <laughs> yeah. a sticky situation. Also, what did you call it? Mukbang. Ah, ba- oh, see, I was just thinking, because I, the term that I remember, and this is again from Eurotrash in that time, is splosh. Maybe, maybe Mukbang is just a new thing. I, I, people have said it to us on the Talk
0: podcast, and when we've eaten food online, like during like live streams and stuff. So, I don't know whether I have taken something that's actually just quite mundane of just eating pizza on cam and have just turned it into an overtly sexual thing.
3: Listeners, let us know. Is it mukbang? (laughs) Is it splosh? Is it sexual? Is it not? Who absolutely knows? Uh, But anyway, we have got quite the
0: challenge on our hand, and we're going to head over to Dominic Diamond for a little bit more information. You're
4: in the director's chair, so you call the shots.
0: Director's Lab is a PC package that allows you
4: to cut and paste hundreds of sounds and pictures together to create your own movie. The technique's similar to professional editing software, not that we'd know anything about that. The pictures are laid in sequence along a bar and the accompanying sound added underneath, along with any special effects your directorial instincts demand. Once completed, it's off to the screening room where you can sit back with a truckload of popcorn and enjoy the fruits of your labour. For this event, our two contestants will be attempting to create their own movie masterpiece. But to make things more interesting, we've selected one clip that both contestants must use in their movie. And this is it. A bloke dancing rather energetically, if rather
0: badly. I've kind of been alluding to this challenge a little bit, uh, sort of in the lead up to, uh, you know, while we've been doing Series 5. I kind of like highlighted a few challenges that are very, quote unquote, Bucky O'Hare is Series 5. Uh, that is things like baby rom, the putting together the PC challenge, the um, the internet challenge to an extent virtual pool, and then this one director's lab because this is an episode long uh, challenge, kind of designed to be a bit rubbish. It's
3: it's odd because now this isn't the first of these that we've seen because like a couple of weeks back there was the full moon one. And we were quite excited by that. Very excited. That was the CD-ROM of the week that I have enjoyed the most. However, this to me just looks like a proper uh, mukbang. There we go. (laughs) It looks like a proper mukbang, just like a mess, an absolute mess of parts, because the Full Moon one at least was like genre consistent and contained maybe recognisable elements. This has got lots of kind of like little clips that are kind of like mostly non sequiturs and I think as is pointed out during the episode there are no there's no characters there's no consistency you know you can't use a series of puppet master clips to build a narrative because there's only one clip of a cow or there's only one picture of a kid kind of like tipping a bowl of ice cream over his head or stuff like that and so I, I was kind of a bit cold on this one from the start because I'm like Ah uh, yes, this feels very much like shovelware already, and we're only still at the beginning of multimedia entertainment.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. Like it, it's, it's there is a clip in this that you see in the the opening video package of Ren and Stimpy, and I remember I was like, oh cool, Ren and Stimpy are in this. And when I was digging around, as best I can tell, this might be a Nickelodeon thing. This might actually be called Nickelodeon's Directors Lab, and. Some of the reviews of it at the time were actually like relatively positive about it, uh, in terms of just like it is, you know, good for kids. And in fact, actually, some of the news coverage of it says that it's one of those few CD ROMs that doesn't feel like shovelware. But I would argue that, like, the, the Lee and Herring sort of, uh, I mean, Lee and Herring's argument about it, I think, rings true, which is a lot of these clips just feel like just massive non and just like a rant. You couldn't make a, an actual story out of anything that you
3: have here. Although, do you know the really sad thing? There was one thing that could have redeemed this entire challenge. And that would be that the entire CD-ROM is hosted by an icon of the 90s, a Nickelodeon figurehead. It's got Melissa Joan Hart in it. Ah, oh, you see, like, I don't think we get enough of the Nickelodeon
0: side of things here. We just sort of, you know, we just get a lot of, as we see with Herring's
3: one, presidents. <laughs> American presidents. Is that down to Games Master? Or is that down to the fact that Lee and Herring were basically fairly shit at this. Now, the thing is, as I say that, because I love Leon Herrick, but this was clearly not their forte and certainly not something that, that they would be realistically expected to kind of like pick up and run with in half an hour or an hour or however long they gave them in real time.
4: And splitting the very sides of heaven fantastically open with a directorial debut. Two blokes who are so funny, we don't even mind the fact that Fist of Fun is on the BBC. Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. Yeah! Welcome to the show, Richard.
5: It's a delight for me.
4: Now, uh, first of all, Stuart, just tell us exactly how funny you two are. Four. Four. <laughs> okay. On the
5: comedy scale,
6: you're all aware right.
4: of it. Out of how much? Uh,
6: that's five or six, About probably. Five. It's like the Richter scale. Yeah.
4: So that's quite, that's quite a good start. Yeah. yeah. That is. And, um, you've never directed anything before, no? That is correct? No. But you are going to be tonight? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to know, obviously, it was only last year that you exploded onto television. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, so maybe some of our viewers, they need to know a little bit more about you. So tell us one interesting fact they wouldn't know about you, Stuart.
6: Ooh, uh, I used to uh, work as a researcher for a gardening company. <laughs> yeah, Was that a lot of fun? Yeah, it was good, actually.
4: Much laughter and action?
6: No. no. But, you know, people often say uh, that's an unusual career move, going from that into comedy. And it is, they're right. It's an unusual career (laughs) move.
4: Okay, Uh, Richard, almost every woman I know fancies Stuart. None of them fancy you. Why is that?
5: Well, it's because I'm the funny one and I have him along to just get girls interested in watching it. And actually, they do really fancy me. Also, I've deliberately kept myself ugly because then the beautiful women I get off with, their beauty's just heightened next to my ugly body.
4: I'm man, exactly the same with myself.
5: (laughs) I like to
0: add. I agree with you, and I think it's... In the lead up to doing this episode, I re-listened to uh, Richard Herring's interview he did with Dominic Diamond um, in the for the Kickstarter that he did for Rehearsal Opera, and I I listened to it back when Dominic Diamond first did the interview, so it was like August, like June, July last year or whenever it was, right? And then that was it. Was the Kickstarter was on, but it was coming to an end, and they had it was a very interesting conversation, twofold really. One of which, it confirms something that you and I both theorized on the Wigfield episode, which is, they didn't tell Wigfield ahead of time they were going to do a proposal, and it was just lucky that Wigfield game for a laugh and went along with it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and you are lucky to do that. So, like, she didn't know I was going to do it until I got down onto my knee. on to Dominic Diamond, anyway. The second of which is, Richard talks to Dominic Diamond about Dom's rampant drug use in the 90s his uh his love of cocaine and his love of speed and and all of this sort of stuff and the fact that dom used to love to go to celebrity parties and was that and that's kind of what the the games master crew all like to do as well and richard herring and Stuart lee were not those people uh they actually and richard herring makes the joke is like it's one of the reasons why it took my career so long to get going is because i didn't go to any of those parties and do the drugs and therefore network. I instead just stayed at home and played video games. And that was probably to a detriment of my career for a long time. But he also said that when they went onto the set of Games Master, what they found was quite a laddie atmosphere, that 90s laddish atmosphere. And it kind of put them a little bit, not off, but like a, oh, whoa, okay, so it's that kind of show, is it? And I think you can feel that in their presence on this show, which is sort of like a, yeah, I don't quite know why we're here. This is sort of fun, but also this game's a bit crap. Dominic Diamond actually says that they didn't set them up for this, but he does apologize for making them do this challenge because it's a rubbish challenge. Richard Herring says, in all fairness, if you got us to play an actual game, we'd have been really bad at that, particularly Lee, because he hates playing video games.
3: So two guys that aren't good at video games, although you said Herring does actually play video games, just maybe not particularly good at them. And then you sit them down in front of this, which essentially has a tutorial mode that they probably didn't get to go through, which actually tells you how the goddamn thing works.
0: Yeah, I think so. Because when the first time we see them putting stuff together, he's doing all those clips of like the president and stuff, like the the, the John F. Kennedy stuff. And then he's like, oh, I'm just messing around. I'll do something proper in a minute. That is just what he presents at the end of the show.
3: Yeah, because he, said he spent so long just getting used to what the actual software is. It's like oh, I guess my messing around is actually going to be my finished project. <laughs> so now we've just got to go up there and just say, yeah, I think this is the uh, this is what we have to do here. It's very first year in film television production, really. kind of <laughs> I say that as someone that did a first year in film and television production, and I was kind of watching it going, yeah, that was how a lot of our projects turned out, because we spent a lot of time learning the editing system and then went, oh, crap, deadlines. deadlines. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: Uh, but like you, like I, I love Lee and Herring. Um, I I wasn't my first exposure to them. Actually, is a few years after this. My first exposure to Lee and Herring is this morning with Richard, not Judy, which was a show I absolutely loved. And they had a sketch on there that has stuck with me for so long. And I think about it every time I hear the song as well. They did a sketch where they used to do like um, sort of like extra bits on a movie or sort of like extra scenes and stuff. And they did a skit of Planet of the Apes, where Charlton Heston, after discovering that he was quite obviously on Earth, doesn't quite believe it still. So he walks past the Statue of Liberty and he's just like, but it's probably just a coincidence.
6: Heston pulls himself together and says,
5: I suppose it's probably just a coincidence. I mean, I was quite happy to accept this alien planet had evolved exactly the same creatures and plants as on Earth and that those bloody baboons talked English. So why shouldn't they have built a similar statue?
6: And so he rides on.
5: Coincidence.
6: He rides on.
5: Serendipity.
6: He rides on.
7: No, it
6: isn't. And then he rides on and on. <laughs> and it is his refusal to accept incontrovertible evidence that later lands Heston the job of spokesman of the American National Rifle Association.
0: <laughs> <laughs> He's like, so it's, and it's, it's a sketch that's just stuck with me for all these years and I've no idea why.
3: See, for me... Lee and Herring, for some reason, I did not watch a lot of This Morning with Richard, Not Judy. But I watched a hell of a lot and absolutely loved Fist of Fun. Like, that's the one which just immediately leaps into my mind. Uh, remembering Simon with his fondness for weak lemon drinks, the guy who said he was Rod Hull but wasn't actually Rod Hull, was obsessed with jelly, Peter and his lifestyle fashion tips and just like being this kind of like very stereotypical nerd. Things like you want the moon on a stick, Hunt the Old Woman. You know, it's all that kind of thing. I think Hunt the Old Woman was Fist of Fun. Honestly, I wouldn't know. (laughs) I'll be honest. I think the other thing is I think I'm also mixing up parts of Fist of Fun with the Friday Night Armistice. Possibly. Oh well, doesn't matter. It was all that kind of era. For some reason when this morning with Richard Not Judy came out, that'd be like ninety-eight, ninety nine. It was about ninety-eight, yeah. Yeah, I was doing other things at that point. I think that actually ninety-eight, ninety nine is a bit of a blind spot for me for television.
0: Well, I think for that for me, that's me turning twelve into thirteen. So I think that's me sort of like really discovering like what my style of humour is as well.
3: I've just double checked and I will stand corrected by myself. It was the Saturday night armistice for Hunt the Old Woman. There we go. But that was also, it ran in that kind of time period from 1995 through to 1999. And where my real confusion came is that was hosted in part by Peter Bainham. Oh, right. It was also Peter on Fist of Fun. So that's where my uh, aging brain beginning to throw them together.
0: What did you make of Herring on Taskmaster? You and I are both massive fans of the show.
3: I thought he was perfectly fine on Taskmaster, but he was one of those ones where I was like, I'm expecting more. I know, yeah. Like there, sometimes there are comedians when I hear they're going to go on Taskmaster, I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be so good." Or people that are going to go on it, and then they do, and I'm like, eh. and, and "Yeah." And he was—he was one of those. Victoria Coren Mitchell was as well. And it's not—I don't think it's their fault. I think some people just gel with the Taskmaster format, and some people don't. I, I also feel really
0: sorry for him in it as well because. He had wanted to be on. He wanted to be on Taskmaster so desperately. From like episode one of series one, he so desperately wanted to be on Taskmaster, and finally he gets his opportunity to do it, and it's the first Taskmaster in the pandemic, so it's not like prop. It, it didn't feel like proper Taskmaster. There was no studio audience to play off. And if you go back and watch that series, you can really tell it is a show that is trying to work out what Taskmaster is in a pandemic setting. And so I feel really sorry for him. And I feel even further sorry for him because in the final episode, the other three on the stage aren't pulling for him to win. They're pulling for Daisy to win instead. And they're cheering on her. So when she doesn't win, Richard wins and it's like, Oh, no one wants him to win now. And I just feel, I feel really, I hope that he has a much more fun time on champion of champions.
3: Yeah, because he's coming up with that as well, isn't he? Because Lisa Tarbuck's on that one, Kerry Goldman, Ed Gamble, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult series because obviously first of the pandemic, but also there were so many strong personalities on that series as well. Uh, I mean, Daisy May Cooper, you mentioned also, my favourite walking nervous breakdown, Johnny Vegas, uh, Catherine Parkinson, and Rizwan as well, you know, who was just absolutely fabulous he was yeah to the point where i kind of feel i kind of know i i feel a bit guilty not being that big especially because he won but i kind of feel a bit guilty about it yeah it's like he was good at the games but taskmaster being good at the games is only half of the the charm that's exactly it yeah i think if it was one of those series where i think they did a
0: misstep in the casting i don't think he was the right person to be put into that cast there like if he'd have been a series later and played off some of those personalities, like him against Sarah Kendall, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. Yeah, I, I think that maybe he's just that's not the series. That, it's, it's not my favourite series, Series 10.
3: No, there was a lot of adjustment. And I think they, they're they kind of, we've gone way off tangent now, but the kind of <laughs> pandemic era of Taskmaster did find its feet just in time for it to go back to business as usual.
0: That's exactly it, yeah. They basically worked out what the show is and then the world opened back up again. It's like, well, cool, we'll just went back to what we did previously then.
3: Although apparently the comedians, a lot of them actually kind of preferred the way they filmed it during lockdown because it was less exhausting. I've heard this as well, yeah. Because they, they didn't have to be on all the time. They didn't have to
0: play to an audience.
3: Like if you're, uh, you know,
0: and if you're a comedian and you have an audience in front of you, you are trying to play to that audience. If it's just five comedians sat in a row, all they're doing is just trying to make each other laugh. But anyway, back to 1996. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I think they've got some good banter here with Dominic Diamond to me, you know, oh, how funny are you really? And like, like Stuart Lynch going,
3: i mean richard lee definitely has a archetype or a character type and that character type is dry and so he really condensed that down in that one statement because that's the thing it's like kind of lee is the more cynical side of things always has been with that partnership and herring was the more kind of i guess boyish maybe yeah i guess so the more sort of like surreal of the two
0: And like one of my favorite moments of this, and actually might be one of my favorite things I've ever seen on Games Master. There's a moment later on when Dominic Diamond is looking at what Richard Herring is doing and what Richard Herring is doing is very rubbish. But he says a line that Stuart Lee thinks is the funniest thing he's ever heard. And he just bursts into like proper, like proper laughter. And you kind of get a real nice insight into why these two work together so well.
3: And this was, as we mentioned, we talked about uh, this morning. We've talked about Fist of Fun, but this was in the middle of their kind of like their their peak. This was when they were kind of at their most uh, well, about as well exposed as you can be for a BBC Two comedy show. Absolutely, yeah. But despite the fact that they kind of broke up at the end of the nineties, kind of, you know, this morning was their last major work as a double act. It wasn't a proper. Kind of like it wasn't a Gallagher brother split up, you know, it wasn't a big dramatic split up. They just, I think, they went different paths in their career and they're still good friends now. And they've even reunited occasionally for kind of one offs and uh, little bits and pieces. I think they even actually reunited to do a proper double kind of set of comedy Mm. as well in the mid 2000s.
0: If you are unfamiliar with, because I think most people will probably know a lot of Richard Herring, especially if you have watched Taskmaster. Uh, If you haven't seen much Stuart Lee, the thing I would recommend is going onto YouTube and looking for his routine he does on Michael McIntyre. And he does this beautiful takedown of Michael McIntyre and observational comedy while doing one of the greatest observational comedy routines you've ever heard in your life. It is a marvellous bit of work. It is so meta.
4: (laughs) First up, we have a special offer. We're giving you the chance to be one of the first people in the country to take part in trials of a new game network, Wireplay. It's for owners of PCs who want to play their favourite games against other people but don't have any mates. Log on to it via your modem and telephone line, register what game you'd like to play and the Wireplay computer hooks you up with one of the 3,000 other people on the service. The service proper doesn't begin until late summer but BT, the producers of Wireplay, are looking for 250 people to take part in their pre-launch test of the system. If you want to be one of them we'll be giving a free telephone number to call at the end of the show but you'll need a minimum 486 PC with a 14.4 modem and ideally a. DD-ROM drive 2. You should also be aware that if you are chosen, you will still have to pay one pound fifty per hour off-peak in phone charges whenever you're using the system. But that's cheaper than buying a small Norfolk farming
6: community.
0: This is interesting, this because this is a bit of a follow-up to a feature we had way back in episode two of this series, Wireplay. Um, but it's kind of like telling you, like, here is what the next phase of Wireplay looks like, and we're looking for games Gamesmaster viewers, two hundred and fifty you, in fact, to test this out. However, if you are selected, you also still do have to pay for this. You're not not getting the cool Wireplay service for free to test it out.
3: It is, I think, the first time we've encountered basically a call for beta testers on this show. And probably one of the first times that actually this sort of thing's been done in the UK in general. I mean, we've kind of talked about uh, some of the services that were trialled in America. And I suppose there was that interactive um, TV thing that was done. yeah 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 but but this in regards to it actually being a nationally televised program going yeah do you want a chance to test this do you want to you know pay one pound fifty an hour off peak to kind of be a guinea pig i think it's certainly the first time you know that a kind of a public beta has gone out like that and i think it's it says a lot of where games master is at this point in time and sort of
0: the demographic that it's appealing to that its viewership is probably going to be able to have multiple people m- way more than 250 that will want to call up that number and be part
3: of the testing and clearly the testing worked well because you know wireplay play was around for a long goddamn time it really was yeah i don't know did we bring this up
0: on the, the podcast we got a message from someone i can't remember if it was through email or on discord
3: Who had the interactive TV thing? I don't know if we brought it up on an episode, but we did get a message from someone who had either had that system or had access to it for a while, was lent it by a family relative. I can't remember who, though. I can't remember who it was either. Then we'll need to dig that up in the archives.
4: No, this isn't the latest game for one of the next generation consoles. This is Toy Story for the humble old Mega Drive. It boasts easily the most impressive graphics of any 16-bit game to date, such as a dinosaur that is so realistic. I thought, ooh, I've gone back in time. A variety of game styles are featured, including a plan view driving game and even a Doom style 3D section. And why are the graphics in Toy Story so hemorrhoid inducingly good? Well, they're taken straight from the Disney movie of the same name. And we'll be bringing you more on that movie in Two Shakes of a Lamb's Little Tail. We're
0: going to be hearing a lot about this movie, I would imagine, when we do our in-between episode before we get into Series 6. Because Toy Story is hitting UK shores very, very soon. It's opening in March. But this feature here is about the Mega Drive game. And it is a, a landmark Mega Drive game in the fact that the Super Nintendo was able to hold up Donkey Kong Country and be like, look at what the Super Nintendo could do. You and I did the VHS release that they did around. It's like, look what the Super Nintendo could do. Mega Drive cannot do this. And here is the Mega Drive in its dying days. This isn't a 32X game. This isn't a Sega Saturn game. This isn't a Mega CD game. This is a Mega Drive game. That's like, we can do this too. We can do the full textured animation, 2D platforms. But also, there's a 3D Doom section in this thing as well. It's an impressive game. I wouldn't say it's a good game, um, but it certainly is an impressive game.
3: I mean, obviously, again, we're seeing this particular kind of example of it via X-Generation VHS, copied, ripped, and uploaded to YouTube. But it, it doesn't look bad. Like, the, the, the work they've done making this game an accurate representation of the Toy Story universe is commendable really even today yeah uh because yeah it doesn't look like the mega drive should be able to do this no it's amazing that the mega drive managed to
0: get this out as well now and i think they worked really really hard on this obviously they worked with pixar as well to get the best version of the animation possible in the same way that virgin worked with disney for aladdin and things like that um but they were also worried that they weren't going to hit any of their deadlines for this because they had to get things back from pixar and they were like oh i'm not sure we're going to get any of this back even though we've asked for it so they started making like their own versions of it just in case they didn't get the stuff back from pixar thankfully everything worked out we got this version of the game instead
3: oh man i'd have loved to have seen what they were coming up with in-house yeah exactly yeah but I've, i i've played it a handful of times uh but i've never really
0: given it a full i've got a copy of it it's, you know it's in the other room within the mega drive collection i really should bust it out and give it a proper little playthrough
3: I think I played the demo of it on Windows. Mm -hmm. I don't think I played the Mega Drive version. I don't think I played the SNES version. But I think at some point I played a demo version of this that would have been like a cover-mounted CD-ROM or something on the family computer. I don't think it was very good. Oh, yeah. Well that or the computer just wasn't up to snuff but you know pc ports of platform games have never been the best not until recently at least
4: the flying contraption you see here is the winner of this year's annual aerial robotics competition there is no one controlling this robot it has to use its own artificial intelligence to navigate an arena and search and pick up a coin top work scottish robot bloke Hundreds of competitors are entered each year and, gratifyingly, the majority of them serve to demonstrate that most robots are thick as mints.
3: Yeah, they do like robotics competitions and similar here on GamesMaster because, you know, we've had Robot Wars slash Battle bots a couple of times. And now here we have what I guess is kind of, I don't know, it, it's a skill. It's a skill game, really, isn't it? It's like you have to pick up a coin. That's, that's it. That's the that's a challenge. But yeah. I'm guessing you have to do it with like the least amount of touchdowns, uh, the quickest time possible, not crashing into the crowd and causing mass carnage, stuff like that.
0: Exactly, yeah. You've got to do this through solely AI, uh, as Dominic Diamond tells you, and get around this course, pick things up and bring it back. They, they almost look like early drones um sort of by the designs of things
3: very much so i mean what a lot of what you're seeing here is conventional remote control vehicles that have just basically had circuit boards bolted onto them or you know low-level computers or remote connections to computers that are doing all the work for them it's you know at that point you wouldn't realistically be able to get kind of the hardware to build your own craft from scratch. You certainly wouldn't be 3D printing or rapid prototyping. Therefore, the easiest solution is going, what helicopter or similar vehicle can I go and buy from Hobby Lobby or similar or or mail order from the back of a magazine? What has a control system or an electronic system that I can then interface with a computer so it can actually start to learn and think and stuff like that? It, I mean, I I actually meant to go and take a look and see if there's an iteration of this today, if there is something that's carrying along the same kind of work, because I'd imagine what you're seeing today is going to be a very... I mean, if you can think it, you can 3D print it, you can therefore build it. Yeah, And it would just be such a world apart today. But I wonder, does that in itself remove kind of some of the charm? Uh, you know,
0: this uh, this segment here is a winner for me because I love Dominic's lines of, most robots are thick as mints. It's true, they are.
4: Uh, slinky? Right Take an emaciated cowboy called Woody and his strange relationship with a dog, add a whole community sure of toys does. who come alive when people aren't around, and add a sprinkling of new characters such as Buzz Lightyear, who doesn't realise he's a toy, and you've got Toy Story, the latest Disney movie that's quite literally making vast amounts of money in the United States. Buzz! In this scene, the Buzz and Woody, having just met, have the first of many disagreements. Voices for the rivaling toys were recorded by Tom Hanks and Home Improvement's top bloke, Tim Allen. But that was the easy bit. The hard part was designing and rendering the hundreds of highly detailed computer models that make Toy Story the world's first entirely computer-generated movie. What sets Toy Story apart is not just the astounding quality of the graphics, but the kind of attention to plot and characterization that Mr Disney bloke excels
1: in. You are a sad, strange little man.
4: This isn't a bunch of tedious computer graphics trying to impress you, but a no-holds-barred rollercoaster ride of human emotion that looks set to equal the Lion King in its appeal.
0: Now, look, I'm not going to complain about getting more Toy Story on Games Master. But this feels almost identical to the feature we had on toy story or the news item we had on toy story back in episode nine
3: i mean spoilers for episode 18 there's some news articles in episode 18 that (laughs) are also kind of like you know that you've covered shit when you go to type something into google and it auto completes (laughs) and it's like oh we've been here before Oh, very much so. Yeah, when they—I tra- ne- mean, we'll get to it next week.
0: But when they try and present *Time Crisis* as brand new footage, I'm like, "You did a review of that, you cheeky bastards!"
3: Yeah, but it's great to see *Toy Story* because it, it is, is this reminder of how huge this movie was, and just how it still holds up. It still looks good. Yeah, I mean, this this is you know
0: slightly different to the news item because we have got some behind the scenes footage here from like a press pack. But like, it's. I don't think anything new was shared from it outside of you know that behind the scenes bits and bobs. But like you, I was just delighted to see it, and you know it's it's been really nice for us to re you know relive relive Toy Story and talk about some of its uh, you know talk about our time seeing it. And I got to share that anecdote the last time we had it. And I was thinking about like, are there any other like things I I didn't mention last time? And I learned a new fact about Toy Story fairly recently that I hadn't known before through uh, What A Cartoon Movie, which is that the original version of Toy Story, when they were sort of like developing, developing, developing it, so the original uh, idea of it was that Woody was uh, not not the villain, but certainly a lot meaner. Like that scene when he knocks Buzz out of the window that kind of like starts the whole journey of them going on their adventure is in the original version they recorded this with tom hanks some of the audio actually exists in the final product is essentially him turning around being like yeah i meant to do that and i'll do it to any one of you that tries to replace me and when they sort of develop it they're like hmm actually i mean it's tom hanks it's a kid's movie we should probably lighten
3: this up a little bit and have him a bit bit more remorseful in that moment yeah i mean smart move the motherfucker's just about to play geppetto (laughs) <laughs> I just watched yeah. the um, the Pinocchio live-action trailer just before we started recording. Oh, they released that now, have they? I'll be honest. Uh, apart from the fact they start the trailer with, from the studio that brought you the live-action The Lion King, the live-action The Beauty and the Beast, and, oh wait, let's not mention Aladdin for reasons, um, it doesn't look bad. I mean, it's Tom Hanks and Zemeckis. You know, you've got some talent there both in front of the screen and behind you know behind the camera and it does look very much like they have gone we're just going to make a live action version of the disney movie because pinocchio he looks exactly as you would expect pinocchio to look um jiminy cricket looks exactly like jiminy cricket the fish the cat they look exactly as they're meant to look my only quibble is how many Pinocchio movies are coming out this year? Because I think there's at least three. Yeah, it's always the problem with something is in the, uh, the, the public domain.
0: We're going way off base here, but I'm assuming you also saw the photos of that Winnie the Pooh horror movie.
3: Oh, I'm on board for that. <laughs> 100%. Blood and Honey, what a great title for it. I, I saw some people on our Discord, Hello Matty, that were just like, nope, nope. And I'm like, yes, because if it's in the public domain, why the fuck not? not why the hell not? I also like as well that the, in the public
0: domain is the A.A. Milne Winnie the Pooh. And this movie's just got like... Ah, we'll just take the disney likenesses though (laughs) like it's different enough that they won't come after us but also it's
3: recognizable isn't it it's very recognizable also the red shirt just check the pantone color it's different (laughs) it's not the same (laughs) ice ice baby is not the same as under pressure there we go there's precedence we're all fine but no i'm on board i mean we had the banana splits horror movie that was fun enough um, it's so weird that we've had two mascot based horror movies because we had that and then we had the um, Nicolas Cage one. Oh yes the sort of like almost
0: the, the not quite Five Nights at Freddy movie
3: well technically we've had two not Five Nights at Freddy movies but I think the Banana Splits actually did start as a Five Nights at Freddy <laughs> abandoned script yeah we've got way off base we way off base but basically um, film's good <laughs> yeah Toy Story grand stuff Tom Hanks brilliant lovely man
0: We'll get to talk about it a bit more because this will be, you know, a a UK box office number one in our
3: season six, episode zero. It will, even though it opens in March. And I tell you what, March is a packed month, Luke, at the box office because Lord Moherman 2 opens. (laughs) Stiff, stiff competition it is. Almost wooden.
4: Air of great concentration here. We have the dangerously attractive Stuart Lee and the quite simply funny... Richard Herring, trying to make their own movie by the end of the show on Director's Lab. Now, Stu, how are you getting on? What have you got for us so far?
6: Uh, I'm uh, basing mind around a the theme of uh, insects and children eating. This kid eating, that's brilliant. Look at it. She's having a Fable, right old monster,
4: isn't she? Fabulous idea. image. Yeah. Bless her. Right, Richard, what about you? What are you going for? Um, good question. Richard Herring presents. Yeah, that's good. What that's kind good. of presents oh, are
5: I've they? Got, uh, well, it's got presidents in, it, in fact. And uh-huh. so far, I've got. Uh, Ronald Reagan oh, there. That.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Finally, my fellow Americans.
5: See, that's a satire for the American it's just it it's a almost, political system there.
4: Almost a lampoon. <laughs> um.
5: But I'm probably not going to do this, I'm just messing around.
4: Right, but you have some top sound effects in there I already. do, yeah. Where
5: would you get that one from? All over the place. That oh, is gosh. a fantastic sound effect, yeah. <laughs> I'd copy his work, but it'd be
4: ridiculous. <laughs> I work
5: mainly so. in the sound medium, which isn't very good for this.
0: I mean, they've also may have to compete against what Lee and Herring are doing here. Uh, You know, I I went dangerously attractive Stuart Lee and quite funny Richard Herring. (laughs) Quite funny Richard Herring. That is a tour name waiting to happen. This is the moment I mentioned earlier where we have um, Herring just talking about it's a satire of American politics and it's not even that funny of a line but Stuart Lee's reaction to it is Absolutely wonderful he hisses his pants, laughing.
3: I think both of them kind of realize how utterly fucking ridiculous and pointless this challenge is. Pointless is such a good word, yeah, even by games Master novelty challenge standards the the builder p c was a better challenge than this
0: <laughs> in some ways, I mean, yeah, there was at least there was a point to that at the end of it.
3: There was a defined end goal as opposed to make a movie with a very wonky interface and a very limited repertoire of clips and mid-90s video compression and no ability to structure narrative. I still maintain they should have done this with the full moon one. That would have been fun. We'd have had some great horror clips and Dom could have taken the piss out of the low-budget Puppet Master stuff, you know? It would have been fun. So much better. Well, do you know what? Let's get into a different kind of challenge.
0: What are we playing, Games Master?
1: It's time now to kiss the rim and dunk the basket as we prepare to play the basketball sim NBA 96 on the PlayStation. The two teams I've selected, the Houston Rockets and Orlando Magic, are both known for bringing it home when it counts. And our players have one two-minute quarter to sort out which of them will be taking the golden joystick with them. Right then, let's tip off.
0: We've got total NBA ninety six, known as NBA Shootout in America, pretty well received. I feel like this has come up in our timeline as well, but I checked through my notes and I couldn't find anything. But I have
3: Wikipedia'd this before. I think it came up in a PlayStation preview. I could have sworn that it came That's up when we were talking about PlayStation yes. launch titles. It must have been in that episode. It must have been because I,
0: I, this came up as a, I already searched on Wikipedia entry and i was going through my notes i was like i can't find any other reference to it so it must have been in that episode
3: i mean this game is the first entry in sony's basketball franchise it has all 29 nba teams their respective logos and almost all of their players three notable exceptions there uh-oh charles barkley shaq and michael jordan who all have much better and more lucrative deals in place chaos in the windy city and shaq foo I was about to say, some of them have got better games. (laughs) They haven't. No, they haven't. I I bet you they live to regret it. I mean, we know at least one of them lived to regret not being an NBA Jam because he had his own bespoke version sent out to him, allegedly.
0: Uh, The challenge we've got here is that one team will take on the Houston Rockets and the other will play Orlando Magic. We have got one two-minute quarter to decide a winner. A very Series
3: 2, Series 3-style challenge. It's such a, like, chalk and cheese. We've got weird insanity going on with the video edit challenge and then we've got this which is just like oh cool a traditional sporting challenge and i don't know if they were trying to maybe strike a balance or we've got two episodes left what have we got left yeah it's it's whatever's left on the cutting room floor really
4: kissing the rim on total basketball we have linton vassal and lawrence harwood Okay Linton, we asked Richard and Stuart earlier on to tell us something interesting about themselves, I'd like you to do the same please. Probably come here. Coming here? Yeah. Is the most interesting is that why you've bought so, such obviously new shoes? Yeah. How much did they say, oh no we shouldn't talk about that, it's so a commercial reference, we don't like them much. Are you pleased with your shoe purchase, Linton? Yeah. I'm glad we cleared that up, Linton. Uh, Lawrence, right, tell us something interesting about you. Not much,
5: I've just, um, two years in a row now I've entered a blockbuster video championship and
7: I've won um it twice to get to the finals uh-huh. and both times been knocked out in the quarterfinals. Okay.
0: <laughs> but poor old Linton, he's not got much to say. And Dom is I mean, i, I mentioned, you know, series two earlier. These are almost series two style interviews as well. Like, what's the most interesting thing about you? No, well probably probably coming here, I guess.
3: No mention for the new shoes he bought, which are very, very shiny. Yeah, but... no,
0: yeah, I've got I've got I've got new shoes, yeah, yeah. So it's... It's nice to be here.
3: It's very Kevin the Teenager. It is, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Series 2 style
0: interview. The difference is, now, we haven't got shiny, happy Dom from Series 2 that would just be like, oh, it's all right, mate. No, we've got cynical Series 5 Dom that's just like, oh, glad we cleared that up
3: then. A.K.A., well, you're a shit interview. I need to move on quickly. Meanwhile, Lawrence has entered the Blockbuster Video Game Championships twice. He's made it to the finals. Twice. And he's been knocked out at the quarterfinal stage, also
0: twice. I mean, I was just popped massively for blockbuster video game championships. That is a perfect mid-90s, like, wonderful slice of nostalgia.
3: And also, by comparison to coming here and buying some new shoes, it is quite interesting.
0: A bit more interesting, yeah.
3: Now, Luke, I'm going to put the same question to you. What's something quite interesting about yourself that our listeners may not know? Oh, difficult one to answer because of my job, where I
0: do talk about my life quite a bit, which means that most people might already know quite a bit about me. What is something that I don't think people would know about me? Um, oh, I mean, I'm, I am doing this podcast. Actually, I do. You know what? I bought new shoes yesterday. Legit, I bought new shoes yesterday. I'm wearing them now. All right. What kind of shoes? I bought Converse All-Stars because that's what I've, I've... I bought my first pair of Converse All-Stars when I was 13 and I haven't changed since.
3: <laughs> I genuinely was expecting you to go, oh, I've got a pair of Skechers or something <laughs> like that. Nope, you're sticking with the Converse All-Stars. Yeah, you I, haven't cha- ma- I haven't changed my style of shoe in, 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 in 30-odd years. I tell you what, give it five years and you're going to start looking at other shoes going, you know what, I need a bit more padding.
0: Yeah, When I was walking through these, I mean, my last ones were like, I could essentially feel the pavement as I was walking along. It's now weird to have a bit more a bit more cushion on these now, because they're new. That'll change within three months.
3: Oh, absolutely. I recently bought my first pair of sketches. and it's at this point, one, I realised I'm now an old man, and two, I realised why old men wear Sketchers is because they're comfy as fuck. <laughs> uh,
0: what's an interesting thing about you our listeners might not know? Shit.
3: <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to ask that, and then I thought, you know what? I should have thought of an appropriate answer to that. Um... Don't think I mentioned this before. Up until my middle teenage years, I was allergic to egg. Why you know? And then I got really, really ill for a couple of weeks. And afterwards, I was no longer allergic to egg, but I was allergic to fish. Huh. There we go. Because we knew the second half of that because that was a big runner through
0: series two. And I only recently learned the first part of that about you fairly recently
3: um, because my kids got the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so you knew that, but I don't think the listeners knew that. So there we go.
4: Well, Linton and Lawrence are going to get ready to play Total Basketball. We're going to take a short break. Don't forget, coming up in part two, the results of Lee and Herring's filmmaking. We'll be back in a minute. A paradise in the sun and the promise of romance. For real real-life Shirley Valentines have fallen in love with more than just an island.
5: Yes, we had a lot of fun in those days, a lot of fun.
4: Will life on Zakynthos turn out to be a grand passion, or a Greek tragedy?
5: I've been unhappy many, many times, and if there had been a, a number 21 basket illusion, I would have been on it.
4: Is love just an illusion on the island of dreams? Tomorrow at 9 on 4.
5: I feel terrible dragging you out like this.
0: It's okay. I love the taste of Nescafe in the morning.
5: I don't know how to thank you.
6: Nescafe.
3: The beans, the blend, the taste.
5: Choose one of these great free gifts when you start shopping with Great Universal or choose a massive 20% off your first order. Plus the new Great Universal catalogue gives you so much more like interest-free credit, free delivery, free home approval and £1 back for every £10 you spend. So to choose your free gift and to get your free catalogue, call Great Universal now on 0500 113 113. Your call's free on 0500 113 113.
4: I thought I should get into shape to tell you about the gorgeous course
5: of sport, so I insisted on coming to this luxurious health farm. Well, I'm not paying. And after 40 hours of open nail surgery and a lot of massage, hi, I'm feeling good.
4: So, right arm up and point to spoiler. Right arm down
6: to body-colored bumpers. And for the posterior, sit on sports seat and stretch to sunroof. Am I perspiring? Miss Wax, time for your colonic irrigation more like time to test this sporty engine.
1: The new Corsa Sport from Vauxhall. The small car with a big
6: personality.
5: This Thursday there's a storm brewing for the Seasiders. If it
1: kicks off and there's a problem because it hasn't been controlled then you will be in for the IG. I'll sort it. I'll go on the door at Churchill's. I'm going there now.
5: At 9.30
2: things get sticky for Stiggy. You know sir, I've been observing you all evening
0: long. And I don't believe you're an MP at all. I believe that you, sir, are a fraud and a hoaxer. Thursday from 9 on 4.
4: Welcome back. Lawrence and Linton are just about to play Total NBA 96. Meanwhile, we have Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. They're making their films over in the corner. course, I with me is Rick Henderson for PC Review. Rick, tactics, please
7: right well it's not worth going for risky three-pointers just like real basketball this game so it's not worth going for those going for these safer dunks that's that's one piece of advice also don't pass it around when you're in a crowded pack because you'll always get the bowling ball stolen from
4: you okay some lessons for the game and indeed life there from rick
7: well
0: it's a sports challenge so rick henderson is in the booth here and this is a nice bit of like advice to give because he essentially is saying to them don't do, don't NBA Jam this and go for the three-pointers because it's not as easy as it is on NBA Jam. You really want to be going in and going for the dunks.
3: I mean, generally, the advice he offers is kind of safe basketball game advice. Go for the safe shots. Don't pass in a crowded pack. If you pass in a crowded pack, you're more likely to lose the ball.
0: The gameplay itself is like it's it's okay it's quite sloppy in place i don't think these two had a massive amount of practice on the game leading up to this um but lawrence is like he when he is on the losing side of things he gets proper annoyed and looks like really gutted that he is losing this and he does lose it quite badly and at one point
3: hangs his head in shame it is a very very one sided game i mean lawrence gets the first two points and then Linton scores, and again, and again, and again. And that Lawrence still gets a couple of shots in, but they just go nowhere. I think it
0: also is a bit of a shame as well, because you've got Rick Henderson and Dom talking about the big slam dunks and sort of like the big spectacular moments of the game, but we don't get any of that here. We just get basic, run into the two-point zone, shot, goes in. Well, at least it does for one person um so you don't really get a lot of the spectacular stuff in the game
3: no it it the general quality of games players we get on Gamesmaster master are a lot higher than they used to be particularly which we talked about series one and series two in the interviews you'd expect perhaps this to be a bit better particularly as lawrence has made it to those quarterfinals twice yeah and maybe maybe if this had come slightly later in the 32-bit generation it would have been better because even if they are experienced game players, they're not going to have that much experience with a PlayStation pad or that much experience with 3D basketball games. And, you know, there is a slight different feeling to the way the game handles, motion capture, all that jazz. This might have been their first time playing a PlayStation, like that day going in. Absolutely. And it's just unfortunate because it's not a bad game. Yeah, I I was going to say, yeah you'd expect to see a bit better.
4: Lawrence, that was utter pants. Your performance beating 8-2. Worse than that. Worse than pants? Uh I can't imagine anything worse than your pants. Can you? Yeah, my plane. Okay, Linton, you did say coming on the show was the most interesting thing you've done in your life, and you have one now. Yeah. Does that make it doubly interesting? Anything else you'd like to say, Linton? Anyone you'd like to say hello to? Mm. No? No one at all, right? Well, I think we'll uh, just present the justice to you. Is that all right? Yeah. Thank you very much indeed, right?
3: We get to the post-match and Dom describes Lawrence's performance as pants and Lawrence is like, oh, it's worse than that. <laughs> it's worse than pants. It's no pants. It's just skid marks on the seat. And again, Linton,
0: big Kevin, the teenager energy here, has got nothing to say. He's just a bit
3: pleased. But I'd be pleased too. He gets a peck on the cheek from the Angels with his joystick. I've written here of him. Is he a holdover from Series 1? Did they find him in a cupboard? <laughs> were, they, were they unpacking some kind of leftover costumes and dress, set dressing from Series 1? Yeah. They just moved a monk's robe and boom, there was a kid that had just been kind of like eating leftover packets of pork scratchings for the past three years.
4: Well, Stuart and Richard have only got about five minutes left. Stuart, how's your <laughs> one progressing? Are we still on the uh, insects and children?
6: Yeah, but, and, and food now as well. We've on to food oh, as well. I'm never going to get it done in time. Any any uh, saucy sounds for us yet? No, I haven't even thought about the sound medium. Rich has been racing ahead in sound, but I haven't, I haven't begun. But right, Richard,
4: how are you getting
5: on? Um new to very the Very badly, indeed. Uh, was, my satire Morning. is
6: continuing. The, it's the, the American government. trying to bring down the American government using this program. <laughs> it's not going to work. Let's face it. But what, for, what I find for
4: him, this show you. is for advancing your own political careers. Yeah. <laughs> many people have said that. Many reviewers.
5: We're very, we're very political comedians, you know. And so we're going to. We them politics. We like the new Rory Bremnerless we are, but <laughs> we use cartoons instead of funny voices.
0: Okay. We cut back to our filmmaking challenge. They've only got five minutes left, which means we haven't really featured much we've had like one clip of them actually doing stuff so far so it already feels like we are pretty much at the end of the challenge and they don't appear to have advanced much from the last time we saw them
3: I mean it says a lot that we get a voiceover from Dom who is essentially saying this is a bit duff yeah can I get rid of rubber. them did we make a mistake even filming this to which the answer is possibly yes
4: oh and I hope the phones have improved because they're a bit duff so far I wonder if we could get rid of them
3: yeah, this is a proper
0: VO admittance that this is cack. It's not quite Robocop levels, but it's getting there. Because essentially what they show is the stuff that they were doing earlier. And like even, you know, Herring is sort of making the same point he made earlier, which is just like, you know, it's it's satire, It's but it's political. Uh, they're like the new Rory Bremner, but
3: without the funny voices. So really, they don't actually have much going for them at all at this point. And they do not know. But whatever they've got... They've got the length of the reviews to finish it up and produce something that will be judged. Oh, boy. (laughs) Will it be judged?
4: First up, Rick's curious clubby headgear and Dave's ever more bleached hair get their follicles around D on the Saturn. D is a graphic adventure that uses FMV to maximum
7: overload level. It's extraordinarily gory and you just wander around collecting things to use in puzzles later on that's it but the graphics are really nice they're very dark and very sinister the trouble is you don't get to interact with them very often and when you do actually solve a puzzle the bit of action you get is all over too soon and really you don't feel there's enough reward for the amount of time you have to put into the game
0: uh, we're kicking off this review section here with a radly fascinating game here d on the sega Saturn. i have lo- i love d i mean it's dated <laughs> so to speak diamond love the
3: d <laughs>
0: love the d um,
3: <laughs> oh god we've been spending too long in the mid 90s <laughs> we're saving all of
0: our dick jokes for the final couple of episodes <laughs> as well so luke when did you first encounter the d <laughs> <laughs> i don't know but it'll be a few years after this when i played d on the sake of saturn random mate's house
3: uh, because I mean the Saturn wasn't even its first platform, its first point of release, it was a 3DO exclusive for a while. I know, right? And then got ported across to the Saturn, the PlayStation, and also uh MS DOS as well. But it is a really interesting FMV kind of it's got quite a bit in common with Dragon's Lair in the respect of it is a full motion video, quick time eventy uh type game, but also in that it has no ability to save yes and no ability to
0: pause it is a game that if you've never heard of d on the sega saturn before its central gimmick is it is a two-hour game well not a two-hour game you have two hours to complete it if you don't complete it within two hours you get an ending so essentially you have got this time limit to get through hence why there's no save function and there's no pause function either you start the game and it counts down from two hours and then it ends. So it's a really interesting curio. I think that's kind of the way that people have described it since. Like Hardcore Gaming 101, you know, sort of recommend, like, probably didn't say, I would go out and play this, just watch a YouTube Let's Play of it instead. Because it is like, you know, it, it it is sort of seen more as a curio now because it's a bit of an interesting game rather than a, you should go out of your way to play this kind of game.
3: And also, I think this will be one of the last hurrahs on Games Master with us for the Amiga, because the majority of this game was developed on an Amiga 4000. Well, on many Amiga 4000s, in fact. I imagine working in combination with things like video toasters and God knows what, basically the stuff they were using to make Babylon 5 and whatnot. An interesting footnote is that it was received very positively on the 3DO. It was received quite positively on the Saturn. When it came to the PlayStation, Sony... Underestimated how popular it was going to be. There was actually a supply chain issue, a shortage of copies, not enough copies produced to meet pre orders, which resulted in Kenji Eno kind of going fuck <coughs> you to Sony and his future games would be released exclusively on Sega platforms.
0: Yeah, I think like D2 and Enemy Zero and, and things like that, which actually features. So the, the main character of this, Laura Harris, is. She then becomes what Kenji would call a digital actress that you can put into other games. So she plays different characters in in Enemy Zero and D2. The Sony thing, I think, is so interesting, though. And it shows that this was a passion project for a guy that was just like, no, you dicked me over when you you didn't basically put any faith into me that this project would work. Therefore, I'm going to go straight to the competition and only ever release it with them.
3: It's worth pointing out the reason it's called D is not as we've basically used it for a dick joke, it's Dracula. It's kind of a retelling based on the story of Dracula, but with added elements of cannibalism, primarily for sensationalism.
0: Yeah, I mean, on that sensationalism note, the, an interesting uh, uh, point on this is that Eno knew that the game would be too extreme for you know for censorship and things like that with with Sony and Sega and stuff. So he made he, he made a clean version of the game to submit to you know for late approval knowing that they would like oh you know you need to cut this you need to cut this and he then took that clean version and essentially just switched out for the master version when it was going to distribution so we got the full uncut edited version from a signed off clean version it's like a
3: proper grifter sleight of hand thing it is yeah i i kind of i respect the moxie i respect the moxie as well they're not massively keen
0: on it in this review though and i think that's because if i was to hazard a guess this is one of those examples of they played it for a 20 minutes and made their judgments on it there because they they don't mention the time limit on it or anything and you'd think if you were doing a review of d that is what
3: you'd be talking about and it's annoying because just between the two of them one playthrough would have taken two hours and then they would have probably been complaining well it only lasts two hours or you only have two hours to complete it but it would have been at least a fair crack of the whip i mean they do praise the graphics they do say you don't get to interact with them often i mean that's because it's an fmv game and criticizing that you don't get enough reward for the time you put into the game and it's like it's only a two-hour game that's exactly it, which it, it proves the point that they definitely didn't
0: play this a lot before doing the review of it. Sixty-nine percent. Nice. But also not. Yes, unfair. Considering that like this was very well received when it came out, like in the magazines and stuff. For GameSmaster here to give it 69% is
3: pretty telling. I would say that while well, I wouldn't say this is a must-play game. It can be emulated, obviously. Also, Night Dive Studios, well-known kind of raccoons of the video game industry, they just are trash pandas. Uh, And I mean that in the nicest possible way, because I've got a whole ton of Night Dive's releases. Uh, They have put it out on Steam and Good Old Games, uh, kind of an updating of the MS-DOS version. And I would say check it out because it's um, quite unique, quite creative. And that two hour time limit is kind of cool. I actually kind of like games that have a kind of a hard time limit, even if it's a short one, because it it adds a sense of urgency. And I think while I wouldn't put it in the high 90s, I do think it's kind of maybe in the 75% realm. I I I would certainly give it 75 to 80.
4: Next up, top 3D atmospheric mystery pixelated characters, nice graphics action ahoy in TimeGate on the PC.
7: Well, TimeGate is the banker. It is a slick and graphically outstanding adventure and the perfect example of what can happen when gameplay meets innovation. TimeGate, you see, has the two major elements that make an adventure game of this type actually work. It has plot progression, and it has more than enough puzzles to keep you going. It also has the bonus of absolutely superb graphics. Alone in the Dark really set a new standard in 3D adventures, but
0: TimeGate takes that so much further it's uncanny. They are much more positive here on TimeGate Night Chase, uh, which used a, a modified Alone in the Dark engine. Um... They are really, really pleased with this. And I think that is just because it's, you know, if you look at D&E, or the, I think it was Dave or Rick was talking, like, it's not a very interactive game. This is proper full on. You do puzzles, you solve puzzles, you move on. And they were like really positive of the graphics. 92% for TimeGate here.
3: But it looks a lot nicer. And also it's much more action based. It's much more kind of like instantly grabbable. And that's why I think they like it so much. Uh, They talk about the puzzles, the plot progression, um, the escalation of the graphical standards of Alone in the Dark, which is definitely there for you to see on the screen. Very much, I think, deserves its 92% here. Although other critics were not quite so kind on it. Like it got two out of five, seven out of tens. And that was mainly from people just going, it's just Alone in the Dark, isn't it? But a bit shinier. And I think... Can understand their criticism, but I don't think at this point in time something being more of the same with Alone in the Dark is a bad thing because we're still pre resident evil. Mm -hmm. You know, the market has not been saturated. So I, d- I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of by being directly comparable and indeed based on Alone in the Dark. I think it's a perfectly fine game.
4: Finally, a plot stolen straight from the pages of EastEnders. Get inside a huge, gigantic, futuristic robot and run around shooting people in Crazy Ivan on the PlayStation. The control method makes it very easy to play. There are lots of little nice features
7: like when you blast a robot, all the little men run out and you can pick them up or shoot them to pieces, which I usually do. And the big the bosses in the game are huge which is a real bonus when you finally come across them you get a real monster to fight and that makes it very challenging and very satisfying when you watch him go down yep it's the well-constructed missions that make crazy ivan so darn playable it has FMV sections it has you jumping into huge metal suits
0: and it has wandering around completing missions by blasting the heck out of every other robot on the planet it's tops we talked about this slightly earlier as well crazy ivan because it's on the cover of uh, the current issue of games master magazine Uh, before we get into that however the for me the most interesting thing about crazy ivan is that it was demos and it was reviewed in north american magazines for the sega saturn it was not released for the sega saturn in north america i believe we did get it i believe we did get it here in europe but the reason why it didn't get a north american release on the sega saturn bearing in mind we are here in 1996 thq pulled it because of Dwindling interest in the system. Friggin' hell, Sega. You talk about dropping the ball here.
3: Yeah, I mean I don't think it would have it's, it's not the, the game that's gonna save the platform, but
0: we're it's a year into its life cycle and there's already publishers being like, ah, no one's going for this. It's getting to the point now where the Sega Saturn feels like the 3DO, a powerful machine, getting a lot of like you know, public and uh, getting a lot of press and stuff, but actually no one's buying the bugger.
3: There is a key difference between the Sega Saturn and the 3DO, though, Luke. I still don't own a 3DO. <laughs> yeah. I do. You should get yourself one.
0: Well, yours is just laying in a shed. <laughs> it is in a very nice barn at the moment. It's
3: also reviewed in the magazine, Luke. Yeah, well, let's get to it, Ash. Because, as per the second poll, because the first poll winner turned out being used by at least two other people on the internet, it's time for the inaugural game of... Strike it, Lukey. So we're going with Strike it. Is that what the winner of the poll was? It was. I actually was, ge- I genuinely thought my last minute substitution of eight out of 10 carts might actually win it. But apparently the association with Jimmy Carr is just too powerful. So <laughs> Strike it, Lukey it is. And I suppose that will work unless we get someone else playing it, in which case we just have to hope they're called Luke. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So let's let's go through this. Okay. Just so you know, it's Pete reviewing this one. Oh, Pete. There are five zones, each composed of three elements. Drones, sentience, and zonal shield generators. Drones are numerous robots that come in a variety of shapes and sizes, from simple caterpillar-tracked mine layers to squadrons of air cruisers. Sentients are the big robot bosses who resemble twisted forms of Earth's wildlife. Panthers, elephant crabs panthers, elephants, crabs, and so on. One zonal shield generator sits in the centre of each zone, spewing out drones and sentients, and it's your objective to destroy this and free each zone from alien control. Most of the time, you'll be fighting off the hordes of drones, collecting power-ups by blasting them before you take on the next big sentient. To help you along every so often, the gorgeous Sarah Stockbridge appears in a video window to give advice in a hammed-up Russian accent. The in-game action works very well with the FMV cutscenes squeezed in around each of the five missions. It's not just mindless blasting either. You'll need to keep your wits about you to take out the toughest sentience, dodging and using the landscape to your advantage to gain the upper hand. The only real worry about Ivan is its lifespan. But even here, there's an additional extra, a two-player link-up for when you finish the missions. Get a mate with a PlayStation, Ivan and a link-up cable. Oh, that's easy, isn't it? Everyone's got, (laughs) got you know, a link-up cable, a PlayStation and a copy of Crazy Ivan. But if you do that, you can fight each other in the two-player arena. The robots are still upgradable, so you can try out different weapon combos on each other to see who blasts best, then save your favourite robot. Well, that's kind of cool. Kind of like creator wrestler in a very early way. Yeah. Buy this and you'll get all the explosions, gadgets, and cute girls with Russian accents you ever wanted. Move over 007. There's a new man in town. The name's Ivan. Crazy Ivan. Okay, that sounds pretty positive about it. Okay, so graphics... Mm -hmm. Brilliant big robots, massive explosions, perfectly integrated FMV, too pretty for words. That's easily in the 90s. Uh, 92. Ooh, 96. Whoa, that's a big, huge score there. Sounds. Dolby Surround, actually. Top-notch speech and FX that go boom very loudly. Like it. Okay, so like it. I don't think this is as high as
0: 96 so do we go down to 92
3: 94 oh i nearly said 94 as well i went down uh, too much but you didn't i didn't did i in the end <laughs> gameplay heavy duty blasting but with a lot of tactics bolted on the ai on the enemies is smart okay so that's still within the 90s mm-hmm. Hmm. go from
0: 96 to 94 must be around the same sort of field i reckon going say 93
3: 91 <laughs> <laughs> now i'm going to give you a hint on the next one it's not above 90 percent mm-hmm. lifespan the only worry is there are just this sentence doesn't actually make sense the only worry as there are just five missions the only worry as there are just five missions i am here as
0: to be the referee <laughs> Still, the two-player link makes up for it. Okay, so as you alluded to then, I think this is probably in the 80s, and I think it actually might be low or maybe mid-80s. I'm going to say 85.
3: No, it's a DeLorean. It's 88. Okay, a bit higher then. That's, That's
0: good then to balance out when it comes to the final score.
3: Okay, so just to recap, graphics 96, sounds 94, gameplay 91, lifespan 88.
0: Now, this is the key one here. All the other ones are arbitrary. That, that's just that's information gathering. This is the key one.
3: Overall, this is another top quality product from Sony Interactive. Phenomenally impressive, utterly absorbing, good, honest, blasting fun, and it's got big robots in it. So
0: you look at those scores 96, 94, 91. Was it 91 the, the, the third one? For gameplay, yep. Yep, and 88. Yep. So those two there are dragging down the others. So, I think it is in the 90s. I think it is in early 90s. And I'm thinking it is between 92 and 90. I'm going to split the difference and say 91.
3: Bingo! You there got it. Is. it is. <laughs> oh, see, having your name in
0: the game title is clearly <laughs> helping. As I've learned the game now. Treat the first part of it as information gathering. Don't get so, don't get so bogged down on getting those bits right. You're just trying to get a feel for it. You've always got to go for the big cash prize. <laughs> exactly. That's the winner. That's the winner at the end there. Although there is no money involved. No, no, just uh, just this po- the fun of doing the podcast and the game. And pride. <laughs> it's all we have at this point. Well, speaking of pride, um, Lee and Herring are going to take us through their movies, which I'm sure they're very proud of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Okay, both Stuart and Richard's films are quite literally in the can. Uh, we're going to get Stuart up first to talk, talk us through his. <laughs> right, thanks.
6: Okay, Stuart, this is your movie. Yeah, it's called Repulsion. Um, the problem with this program, I think, with the game, is that you don't have access to like any repeated images of the same character. So you can't work with a narrative framework. You have to just use abstract images. As you know, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> what, does
5: <laughs> what does that mean? You can't mean? tell a story.
6: Right, okay. So I've tried to deal with the idea of food as a kind of poison.
4: Uh-huh. Okay. Here goes shoot Stuart from. Stuart Linsky's repulsion. repulsion. Take it away, Stuart.
6: Okay. Well. There's not much to say here. From the foreground, we see there's worms, right? Various images of food behind, and someone eating a lot. That was a mistake. That little really cow. <laughs> and uh, there's more food there. Yeah. More of the food behind. And, and that's unpleasant food, worms this, again there. Does this have any meaning? Yeah, it means, you know, you, you know when you feel really sick and you hate the idea of eating, but you still do. That's kind of what it's about. Right. That's oh. the bit, we had to put that bit in, yeah. that's the bit we, <laughs> we said. But I, but I tried to make it relevant by putting a sort of toilet flushing sound under it. Right, I like that bit, I <laughs> That's my that favourite was. bit, not <laughs> a great bit. Um, no. And it ends,
4: and that was the ending. That's but the end. Nice <laughs> the way it did all come together
6: at the end. Well, All it's the stopped, it, it ends. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's got a definite end. It's
0: when it when it goes black. Yeah. That's right. the end. So, uh, should we talk about Lee's one first? You know, let's let's take a look at Stuart Lee's one here. Repulsion. Um, I mean, okay, Stuart Lee basically gets up at this podium and says, "This game is shit, and you cannot make a movie out of it because you cannot do any linear storytelling or characters or anything like that." So, I've just put together some stuff and it's called repulsion.
3: And all while he's offering this explanation, Richard can be heard laughing like a twat off screen. Um. So yeah, uh, I, I
0: the bit that made me laugh in in this is when they're watching this and Stuart Lee just goes, that bit's a mistake.
3: My favourite bit is that we kind of go through the process. We see food, worms, a child eating. We get the clip of the dancing man that they had to use. I don't know if we mentioned that before, but there was a clip of a dancing man they had to use in their film. That's accompanied by the sound of a toilet and the film ends, and Stuart says it has a definite end to it, it's when the screen goes black.
0: <laughs> well, you know, perhaps we've given our thoughts on it, but what did Gamesmaster make of it?
1: I'm afraid I feel to see any merit in that pathetic excuse for a movie. The endless repetition of the same material seems to indicate a complete lack of creative talent. I award it one out of ten. And you can consider that generous.
3: Ooh, that's two thumbs down. That's a full Siskel and Ebert noop. That's a He's a harsh critic, his games master. Even Ain't It Cool News ain't going to like
0: that one. Maybe Richard will uh, do better with his. Get Let's see if
4: uh, Richard Herring's film fares any better. OK, Richard, take us through it. Start your film. Right, once again, we have the narrative
5: problem, so I've Warning. used uh, juxtaposition finally, to, uh, to satirise Americans. Him.
4: OK, President Reagan now.
5: Yeah, you have to listen oh. to the people saying,
4: oh, yes. I only want your
5: it's the present, Surrey! a funny man's face, e- each time the juxtaposition <sighs> parodies the present, or does it? And there's that clip we <laughs> have <that after. laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: This bit's coming, it's good to watch this
4: bit in a minute. Hello. That's good, to see? That's very good, that was very good, So that was worth the admission for you, <laughs> that one. As please no, leave really... it, wait, because look, uh uh-huh. This film is a satire. Of
5: satire. This is a, I'm having to go at Rory Bremner here, <laughs> right? And people like him, who think satire is a clever <laughs> art <artful>. form. <laughs> And there you go, laughing, you
4: see. It was a satire of satire in the end. A satire of satire. For uh, for viewers at home, who are perhaps a bit too young to understand what a satire of satire (laughs) means, it basically means it's rubbish. (laughs) And uh, trying to come up with an excuse (laughs) uh, (laughs) so that we think that it's actually good. Ah.
0: I loved Richard Herring saying, I made this to have it go at people who think satire is a clever art form.
3: Which in itself makes it, oh God, it's a (laughs) headache one, that. His excuse is much cleverer.
0: Yes, it is much much cleverer. Um, did you did you enjoy this one? Did you enjoy this more than Stuart Lee's one? Should we say? Because it's hard to say. Like you enjoy because you
3: can't enjoy either of them. I mean, if we look at both of them as pieces of film, as creative works of artists, I regard them both as things that I have watched. hmm I don't think they are as bad as that stop
0: motion uh, movie that we had a few episodes back. The, the cg animated one i should say uh this is wow <laughs> still getting the knife in on that one <laughs> um i mean let's hear what Gamesmaster thought of it
1: well i doubt it'll be sweeping the oscars next year but at least it demonstrated a rudimentary understanding of how to entertain an audience albeit a very stupid one i shall award it two out of ten does show
3: how to entertain an audience albeit a very stupid one so definitely suited for us yes
0: two out of ten so richard herring wins <laughs> he won by sucking less <laughs> yeah. in the interview podcast uh, on roherstlipper richard herring was like the scoring system does not really make a lot of sense because Gamesmaster wasn't even there on the day to judge it and Dominic Tymer was like, oh, no, you can't say that. We all know that Patrick Moore was there on set, ju- sat in the corner judging these fairly. Next, you're going to say that Santa Claus isn't the Easter Bunny. What are you playing at, Herring? And even, you know, Stuart Lee essentially says as much, where he's like, I don't think that was fair. I'll never come on this show again. And he was right. <laughs> he was right. But yeah, I mean, Richard Herring, he got the gun joystick and he got the birds in the end. So I guess he's a double winner, really.
3: There's a lesson to be learned there. Don't try and create films with a Nickelodeon package. So the the denouement to this is
0: that on This Morning with Richard, not Judy, they destroyed their Games Master golden joystick.
5: You know, I know how Gwyneth Paltrow felt crying there,
6: actually. Yeah, of course, because you're used to outstaying your welcome, aren't you, as well, Richard?
5: No, because I have won an award, too. Yeah, yeah? yeah. I have actually won a Games Master golden joystick. And there it is. That's the real one. Oh, yeah. That came out of Dominic Diamond's own hands. Do that came from? Oh, look, it's lovely, like, oh, isn't the the love it? Oh, the It's falling on the floor. Yeah, was smashed. Oh, I no, smashed it.
1: Care- <laughs> careful, oh, you smashed bit! That's the actual
5: one. <laughs> Smash, That's the actual one. You see? Oh, it's not... Don't do that. It must have fallen that was on the real the... one. You can't do that. Floor or something. We could have given that to the poor children. One. Anyway,
0: um, and they bring this up on rehearsal and Dominic Diamond was very, very upset with them for doing this. However, Richard Herring tells him that it wasn't the real Games Master Golden Joystick they destroyed. The BBC made them a replica, because in his words, they're fairly cheap to replicate. He's not wrong. And he's not wrong. So they didn't destroy the real one, they destroyed a replica. However, he had already lost the original
3: version before they got round to filming that skit. So they didn't destroy the original, but... He couldn't have found the original even if they'd wanted to. No, he had already lost it
0: by that point. He does regret it. He is very upfront in saying he does regret it because it is a piece of TV history that he did actually have uh, and he could have sold it on eBay for at least 500 quid but he just didn't think much of it and didn't keep hold of it and just didn't know where it went.
3: Do you know what I'm reminded of? Do you remember way back in the mists of time, the arm wrestling challenge? Mm Mm-hmm. And the guy that won that, and I found the documentary interview with him and he had all his trophies and still sat amongst them was that plastic tat, that Games Master golden joystick amongst all the very legitimate arm wrestling competitions and everything like that. Yeah, I'm reminded of that. And Richard, I am disappointed. Yeah, Robbie Williams kept his. Robbie Williams
0: was in pride of place in every house that he went to. All of his, his smash hits award, they're into the attic. The golden joystick, that is pride of place. Disappointed
3: in you, Richard Herring. In fairness, the smash hits are usually just solid blocks. The golden joystick's hollow. You can fit a lot of cocaine in a golden joystick. Allegedly. Allegedly.
4: Okay, that's all we've got time Yay. for. That's the end of the show. Remember, everyone at home, life is like a pair of pants. If you don't start to change it, they can smell. Bye-bye.
3: But was this episode a
0: stinker? So, hmm. That is an interesting question, isn't it? Oh, man. Right. Where do we land with this? I enjoyed the Director's Lab challenge for the silly nonsense that it was. It's not good. It is categorically cack. It's categorically, if you will. It is not a good challenge. They didn't want to be there. Dom immediately regretted the decision to do this the second they started on it. And it stopped a lot of the episode and it isn't very good. And the second challenge isn't all that great either. And some of the news items feel recycled from other things that we've already had. So, I don't think that this is a good episode, but I didn't have a bad time watching it, if that makes sense.
3: No, it is a curio, much like The D. It is a curio. may pique your interest um the challenge is both the challenges are so so the basketball challenge is perfectly functional a person wins and they win decisively which is always nice rather than someone just winning by apathy which is kind of what we get with the other challenge where herring wins by default the two sweetest words in the english language and everything else is actually kind of cool we got to talk about toy story and with it A lot of other things. Uh, We also got to talk about Dick Miller. And as we recorded that section on a separate day, I can't remember how we got to talk about Dick Miller, but we got to talk about Chopping Mall. Of course, Chopping Mall. I mean, I remember Chopping Mall, but I just can't remember how we got on to Chopping Mall. We will always find a way. (laughs) Dick Miller is going to soon become the new mascot of uh, of this podcast. But the reviews were fun. The news was kind of fun. Everything in this episode was actually kind of fun but not necessarily in the way it should be.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair way to put it. So the, it then becomes difficult to, to score. And we've had a few episodes like this in Series 5 where we have found that difficult balance of where this falls. So it's not in the 90s, but is it bad enough to fall out of the 80s? And I sort of think it is, but it is above the recommend. So I think I'm currently sat at 79
3: i was a bit harsher than you i was right at the line on 76 oh
0: okay yeah that is very much on the 75 border yeah yeah i mean i think you're probably more right but i'll stick with i'll stick to my guns i'm sticking with 79 but yeah this is a if you're watching it if you're doing a whole series run through you will watch this episode but if you start watching this episode and you realize it's this one you probably could skip it I won't yeah. I won't be rewatching this episode.
3: No, this is not going to be featuring in our best of at the end of the run. And to be honest, you know, I have I, you know, I have no ill will towards Lee and Herring because as I think we've discussed, we both loved various levels of their output. They just weren't a great match for this challenge and possibly this show. Yeah, I think they, so. They could have been a lot of fun on the Mr. Motivator challenge. That would have been an interesting one. Yeah, I mean it's
0: yeah. I, I, I like Liam Herring. I don't like them here on Games Master because I don't think they liked themselves on Games Master.
3: Agreed. Yeah.
0: But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on social media, on Twitter, at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And make sure you get in your feedback to feedback at
3: underconsultation.com. And if you want to provide some real-time feedback or talk with other listeners, other fans of underconsultation, retro gaming and pop culture in general, you can do so over on our Discord, uh, where Cliff's dog is being a dickhead. Uh, Cliff is probably being a dickhead as well. And other than that, there's been various talk about recent wrestling pay-per-views. Other people are talking about video games, including excessive prices in computer exchange. And Luke... Today, I discovered that Halloween was still a band that were active in the world. I have not thought of Halloween since I was at university. Tell you what, mate, their current single from their album that they released last year, it's a fing banger. <laughs>
0: you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you will get access to ucp extra which is this podcast format but about other shows from the 80s and 90s as well as our monthly community show under console nation if you back us at the five pound level you get next week's episode which will be the final episode of series five one week early and add free. At the 10 pound level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they
3: get? Or oh, at the 10 pound level, they get the under consultation glittery golden joystick waggler mug, which is stuffed with retro trading cards, badges, stickers, sweeties, all sorts of goodies in there.
0: And a shout out to those 10 pound backers Xandethol, William, Tom, the Amazing Cliff, Simon, Sean, Sarah, aka Pink, Lithium, Richard, Reese, Nick, Misha, Matty Boo, Mark, Link, Kevin, Jamie, Ian, Harriet, Mangagirl. Gordon Dempster, Gordon Brands, David Palmer, David Fisher, Darkside73, Chrissy Two Sticks, Beat the Games Master, Arcadia Wild Bill, Andrew Cummings, Adam D, Paul, and Andy. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week for the final episode of series five. Take care, everyone. Good
3: night.